The American dream has become a nightmare. Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town. Like a cancer that's silently spreading, there's an unspoken fear. We're on our way down. We must take America back. Main Street to Wall Street, cities and states, Washington D.C. Before it's too late, there's not long. We need leaders who lead us, not stick us and bleed us, then ransom our future and our children's. That's wrong. Because that's exactly what's happening in this country. We're selling our children and our grandchildren down the highway of hell. And, well, welcome, folks, to Republic Broadcasting Network, the Rebel and the Renegade Roundtable. And here on the third day of March in the year of 2024, great to have you folks uh, tuning in. And uh, if at all possible, if you could please go to republicbroadcasting.org and make a donation to keep free speech out there and to keep free speech available because it is rapidly going away and we have to fight the fight where we find it. So with that being said, let me welcome in my uh, uh renegade buddy here from up there in south kakalaki not north kakalaki but south kakalaki how you doing steven howdy mike thanks so much for having me hello rbn yes i am a renegade it's true <laughs> and uh, you know this rbn is kind of like a family to me too you guys keep it going where else would you be able to hear the things that you do here? We don't always have to agree about 100% of everything, but, you know, the tribe of truth is its own kind of family, I I feel like sometimes. Well, I think you're spot on, Stephen. And our buddy uh, Scorpio told me earlier that he would be with us, but uh, I hope he hasn't run into any kind oh. of difficulties out there in California. Yeah, myself, I saw they had a big snowstorm going on out there that they had closed uh, one of the interstates that it just uh you know piled up so high that there were wrecks and stuff but you know i thought he was in a different part of the state oh, he, but, uh, he might be traveling yeah he might be traveling uh, last uh, time we actually really communicated before today he was actually in texas and sent me some pictures from the bar he happened to be in and i told him i was upset because there wasn't a confederate flag on the wall yeah dang yeah what kind of yeah you got to stay out of those bars that don't have confederate flags Exactly. I usually wear mine. <laughs> if I was in the bar, they would have been on there. <laughs> you take it, take it with yes, you, do sir, you? Yes, sir. I take it with me. Yes, sir. Get mine from the Dixie Republic and wear it just about everywhere I go. You know, I very rarely go outside the house without St. Andrew's Cross on my body somewhere these days. And so well, far, so good. <laughs> well, uh, th- that is uh, certainly commendable there. Uh, uh, may I call you Whitey? I you back sure enough. Whitey's fine. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> well, that was fun. Uh, that was fun last night with Whitey uh, and Blackbird. Yeah, the diversity crowd. We had we had diversity, equity, and inclusion last night for sure. Yeah, I, I don't want anybody saying we're racist. I mean, you know, we had 
we were wide open with that. Well, Stephen, you and I have talked a little bit earlier today about uh, a subject for tonight, and I've got three or four we could branch out on. Um, so uh, do you have a favorite? Is there something you'd like to jump on? Well, you know, I was reading that latest substack that you uh, published. That I thought would be a good place to start. Uh, that, that, a lot of people, there are two things that I will bring up when I'm out and about. If somebody notices my shirt or some stranger that I just start a conversation with, I'll ask them if they know what happened to the USS Liberty. And then I'll ask them if they knew what the devil's punch bowl was. So, you know. Those kind of like a litmus test to see if the, where they are, so to speak, uh, or how much educate you're going to have to do to be able to have a conversation with somebody, or whether I should just turn and walk away. But uh, you know, we could start there if you want. That, that I thought that was really good. I read yours about my Lavoie Finnicum's murder yesterday on my show too. That's another thing where we are in this country today is similar to where we were back then. You know, before that first quote unquote civil war. Seems like they're ramping us up for another one right now. Well, you know, one of the things about Lavoie Finnicum is the fact that I actually have a uh, certified copy of his, uh, uh, I guess you would call it his, what, what death certificate or autopsy or whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's a certified copy. And the uh, person who did the uh, autopsy very plainly states on the uh, autopsy itself, that it was homicide. I mean, it, it's very simple. He talks about the two shots to the back from uh, 308 or 556. I think it was 308. But, um, you know, and then the BS story by the uh, cops that he was going for a gun. If you're a, if you're a sniper, a, a federal sniper, which is probably what shot him, And then the other thing, you know, that we don't get into is the fact that that man was one of the bravest men I've ever known. Now, I know you probably can't find the videos anymore, but he when he saw what they had set up there, he tried to accelerate and get around it Mm -hmm. because he was being shot at. Yes, they were shooting at a car before. Yes, sir. Yes. And so he was being shot at before he ever stopped his truck, but he knew that he had. Uh, three passengers, two of them were women, one of them was 18. And so Lavoy knew right away that the thing he needed to do more than anything else is to get the fire away from that truck, away from those women and his other passenger. And that is just absolute courage. And he goes out into the field so that they won't be shooting up his truck anymore, hopefully. And then he gets out in the field and then they shoot him. And claim he was going for a pistol and you know you know all of these federal cops carry a throw down pistol they're going to kill you and then throw down a pistol and claim you tried to kill them uh, you know and i don't even know why they yeah. do that now because they have what what do they call that executive privilege or some kind of yeah. crazy stuff uh of uh, some kind of immunity official immunity immunity uh, yeah. uh oh administrative I forget the phrase, but yeah. basically yeah. it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. We better than you, <laughs> basically, a peasant. You know, that's basically what it boils down to is we are the king's men. Out yeah. here, kind of that same attitude. Well, there was a couple of things I didn't put in that article. Uh, you know, one of them was the fact that uh, when Lavoie Finnicum's body was sent home to his family, 
Did you know that his dead body was in handcuffs? No. Yes. That is an absolute Ugh. insult. That's a slap to the face. And then at his funeral, the FBI had, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the FBI, actually had planes circling above the uh, church, and they were blocking all radio signals. You couldn't, uh, you know, use your phone or anything if you were anywhere near the funeral. Why did they have to do that? Why did they have to just, it's, it's an in-your-face, look, we did it, what are you going to do about it, punk? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of stuff. Yeah, and there's that, a lot of that going on. <laughs> that's the epitome of the federal government, in my opinion. I agree. Nothing, nothing but a bully, and, uh, you know, and uh, they're a bully with immunity, and that's that's a tough thing to deal with, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what did, uh, you know, I told you today that I was working on that last substack, and then I sent it out. Uh, did, what did you find interesting in there, Stephen? Well, you talked about how it was at Alexander Hamilton's um, America come back to roost, too. And that phrase, retroactive treason, stood out to me, too, in there. You know, the whole th- <laughs> the whole thing was very, very good, but I think things are going to happen along those lines again in the near future that we're like being set up right now uh with the, with i'll call it the american maidan if you want to or the color revolution comes home to america because that looks like really what that they have scheduled for this year for us somehow and what better predictor of the future than the past you know they've done this same operation over and over before and i think they, you know we can learn from what happened then too Oh, absolutely. I don't. I was, yes, let me. I'll bring that up. I've too. I had that. I'm I'm on my little smartphone, but I'll bring that back up where I had it too. I was reading that earlier. Yes, sir. Okay. Just, uh, okay. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Let me while I well, while I bring no, that up. No, that's okay. What uh, the title of my article was when Abraham Lincoln and Karl Marx sought to perfect the socialism of Alexander Hamilton. Now I did that title purposely uh, because it's true, but I you know. Uh, I like to uh, get people angry enough to read something if I can, <laughs> and uh, so uh, if do you mind if I read a little bit from that article? No, sir. Stephen? Please do. I please do. I have it now. I brought it up on the email. There we go. So go right ahead. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, the very first public statement that Abraham Lincoln made after being inaugurated as the 16th president was an ironclad defense of slavery. Now, listen, folks. An ironclad defense of slavery. And you've been told over and over and over again that the war was all about slavery. Well, what did Lincoln say? And I quote, I have no purpose, directly or indirectly, to interfere with the institution of slavery in the states where it exists. I believe I have no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so. Well, he was right. He didn't have a lawful right to do so because slavery was constitutional, and had been codified by the Supreme Court in 1857. Doesn't mean it's moral, but it was lawful. And that is a great lesson, people. Laws are not always moral, are they? And that is the thing that uh, should separate us from a government that comes up with immoral laws. But uh, then uh, he then quoted the Republican Party platform of 1860 that said essentially the same thing. Can you believe that? The Republican Party platform said, you know, almost exactly what Lincoln said. Imagine that. But anyway, 
it pledged his support for the fugitive slave clause of the Constitution and with no mental reservations and supported a proposed constitutional amendment, which was called the Corwin Amendment, that would have prohibited the federal government from ever interfering with slavery. In fact, it was Lincoln who instructed William Seward to see that the Corwin Amendment made it through the U.S. Senate, which it did, and also the House of Representatives as well. And two states had ratified the Corwin Amendment before Fort Sumter was fired upon. But in the same speech, Lincoln promised a military invasion and bloodshed in any state that refused to collect the federal tariff on imports, which had just been more than doubled two days before his inauguration. And the quote from Mr. Lincoln himself, there needs to be no bloodshed or violence, and there shall be none unless it be forced upon the national authority. He continued, thus, mere minutes after taking an oath to protect the constitutional liberties of American citizens, Abraham Lincoln threatened to orchestrate the murder of many of those same citizens if they didn't pay their taxes. What on earth was he talking about? What would cause a president to wage war on his own citizens whose liberties he had just pledged to protect? Lincoln explained in the very next sentence, and I quote, The power confided to me will be used to hold, occupy, and possess the property and places belonging to the government and to collect the duties and imposts. But beyond what may be necessary for these objects, there will be no invasion, no using force against or among the people anywhere. But he promised to murder American citizens over collecting taxes. Your thoughts so far, Stephen? Well, it, it also it, it constituted wasn't it ninety percent of their whole budget too? The 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 tariff that was all about the money, like it always is. I think. And then I was thinking parallel with today, they made the issue in retrospect talking about slavery. Uh, now they. It's that they've welded the gates open, so to speak, and, and, and it's uh, illegal immigration now where we're being overrun, but it's not really about that. It's still about money and power. They want to stay in power to keep the money, so it, it, it all, the thing just goes in circles for me, if, if you understand what I'm saying. Oh, it, big, it, big yeah, time. it's it, it's coming again to coming back in our face in much the same way that it did then, and and we've been lied to about that. But they're doing the same thing again, even though we were lied about the history of it. They're doing the same process: lather, rinse, repeat, and there's less of ours and more of theirs, no matter what the process is. Always. <laughs> oh, for sure. And then I'll continue a little bit with this. It's real long, so I'm not going to do the whole thing, Stephen, but uh, I think we'll throw out enough here to comment on. This was necessary in the mind of Lincoln if he was to deliver on what his party elected him to do, as stated in the quotations at the beginning of the article, to enact a high protective tariff, give away public lands, mostly to mining, railroad, and timber corporations, and to lavish the railroad corporations, among others, with what we would call corporate welfare. This was the old American system brought forward by Alexander Hamilton. 
which was endorsed for decades by Lincoln's Whig Party, and finally the Republicans. The overwhelming majority of Southern congressmen had for decades been ardently opposed to all of those things. But now they must be forced into it, or so Lincoln thought, for the sake of revenue collection. At the time, the tariff on imports accounted for more than 90% of all federal tax revenues. Now, I have read varying figures on that, Stephen, but the lowest I have ever read was 80%. That the South was providing 80% of all of the revenue for the entire country. You know, and I've also seen 90%. So let's, uh, I like to go with the low figures so no one can say, well, you know, that, uh, you know, if they find the 80, they're going to say, well, it was 80%, not 90. Well, really, folks, you think there's a really a big difference between 80 and 90% when it comes to the fact that it was all uh, on the burden of the southern taxpayer? But here's well, definitely else. were ripe for the picking. You know, the wealthiest oh, yes. part of the country. So get, they had to come. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, but yeah, this no, was no, no, no. Don't don't. Yeah, they came, they came. They came for it because uh, it was out of. They did that over and over again too. That's that. That's another thing. The wealthy will uh, uh, out of greed, I guess, and jealousy. A lot of times, wars are fought. So, but yeah, yes. Well, Southerners, as well as Northerners, needed to be forced to pay for the empire of corporate welfare that the Republican Party hoped would keep it in power for decades. And it did. The Republican Party essentially monopolized national politics for the next half a century after the war. That is why there had to be a war in the minds of Lincoln and the Republican Party. They were perfectly willing to enshrine slavery explicitly in the Constitution, but there would be no compromise over collecting the newly doubled tariff. So you folks who want to say, well, you know, the whole thing was about slavery. Well, if it had been about slavery and the South wanted to keep their slaves, all they had to do was to come back and join the Union and ratify the Corwin Amendment. People, that blows your entire slavery argument completely and totally out of the water. It was not about slavery. And Lincoln said so. So did the Congress and the uh, Johnson-Crittenden Amendment. They said the same thing. It's not about slavery. But your modern-day Marxists have to make it about slavery Because if it wasn't about slavery, then the people would have to examine what Lincoln actually did. And what it was really about. It was about power. Yeah, yeah, it was about consolidation of power. Yes, sir. You continue, you said, this is also why opposition to war in the North had to be so brutally repressed. People assume, you know, that it, it was... The North against the South, and it was like, but p- people were divided in fa- amongst families, even. So it, let me let you continue. Well, big time. And uh, this whole myth of national unity was invented to support Lincoln and the Republican Party. There was no national unity. Much of the story of how the Republican Party engaged in a Stalinist spasm of political repress- repression is told by historian William Marvel in his book, Lincoln's Darkest Year, The War in 1862, 
which I highly recommend. Uh, folks, if you really want to read, this is a good one to read. And, uh, you know, and Mr. Um, Marvel is no Johnny come lately. He was a renowned Lincoln scholar, winner of the Lincoln Prize and the Douglas Southall Freeman Award. Well, the Republican Party's first act of political chicanery was to begin kicking out of the U.S. Senate men who opposed, you know, I'm jumping around here, but who opposed their policies. And uh, several of them, you know, like Democratic Senator Jesse Bright of Indiana, who was kicked out of the U.S. Senate. Now, show me in the Constitution, people, which is a total you know, farce, but show me where, even back then, that the president had a right to kick somebody out of the Senate because they disagreed with him. And he was kicked out, and the Senate said for because he lacked enthusiasm for Abraham Lincoln's war against the South. So see what happens if you're against war. We're using the excuse that in the years before the war, Senator Bright had known and admired his fellow Senator Jefferson Davis of Mississippi. The Republican Party accused Senator Bright, one of the most senior members of the Senate at that time, of retroactive treason and expelled him with a bare two-thirds majority vote. The Congressional Globe propagandized that only a traitor would advocate peace. Think about that, people. Only a traitor would advocate peace. And newspapers all over the North that were openly affiliated with the Republican Party, as was common during that period of time, quoted this statement. This, of course, included the German-language newspaper, the Illinois Staatszeitung, which was secretly owned by Lincoln, which proudly published the essays of Karl Marx. As for northern newspapers that did not support the waging of war on their fellow Americans, the government had already begun to squelch the most effective criticism by stopping distribution, seizing equipment, and arresting publishers. Unionist mobs had collaborated in that suppression of free speech during the summer of 1861, destroying the offices of anti-war journals and attacking physically the editors. Even Francis Scott Key's own grandson understood how dangerous it had become to utter an unpopular opinion in the land of the free. Marvel, the author, sarcastically wrote, the grandson of the author of the Star-Spangled Banner, I'm sorry, was a Baltimore newspaper editor who had been thrown into the bowels of a coastal fort without due process, without a trial, without anything, simply for editorializing against the Lincoln administration's suppression of free speech. Stephen, are we not seeing exactly the same thing from Lincoln in 1861 that we saw from John Adams in 1798 with the Sedition Act? You can't say anything bad about the government or we'll put you in prison? It doesn't matter if it's true. Just if it hurts us, then it's against the law. Right. We're better than you are. And that same thing is being employed today. 
I mean, the the parallels are striking to me. I was thinking about that horse face woman that sang like Mary Poppins and the uh, you know misinformation bureau and all that that the, the Bidens have too. That yeah. they cannot take criticism. It's just not allowed. I'm sorry, sir. Please continue. I mean, it just it's it's shocking and it's sad, and I I don't understand how people can't see it honestly. You know. Well. You're right, Stephen, so much so, and, you know, kind of jumping back to the subject here, the party that dominated the United States Senate intended to formalize the concept that meaningful dissent to the political agenda of their party amounted to treason. You couldn't agree with them. You were treasonous. After kicking Senator Bright out of the office, the leaders of the grand old party then wished to end their day early in order to prepare for a grand party that had occupied Mary Lincoln's attention for some weeks. Author Marl then uh, Marvel writes that the White House employees quickly began calling Ms. Lincoln the American Queen, who, according to one senator, appeared at the party looking like she was wearing a flower pot on her head. And many of the generals, admirals, Supreme Court justices, and foreign counsels who attended the party, writes Marvel, considered Lincoln to be a vulgar provincial lacking in either sincerity or statesmanlike qualities. Later, members of his own cabinet would refer to Lincoln as that baboon down the hall. So without bothering to attempt even to amend the Constitution, Article 3, Section 3, the Republican Party in 1861 invented a brand new definition of treason. Treason to Lincoln and the Republican Party meant if you opposed them, you were treasonous. That goes right back to the Sedition Act of 1798. This was very different from the actual definition of treason in Article 3 of the U.S. Constitution, and I'll quote, Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. As with all of the founding documents, United States is in the plural, signifying that the free and independent states, as they were called in the Declaration of Independence, are united in forming a compact of states for their own mutual benefit. The central government was to be their agent. So treason under the Constitution consists of levying war against them, meaning the states. This is, of course, exactly what Lincoln and the Republican Party did. Their war on the South was the very definition of treason under the U.S. Constitution. Long before George Orwell's time, they had distorted the meaning of the word to mean exactly the opposite of what the document intended it to mean. As the perpetrators of treason, as defined by the Constitution, they accused their political opponents, those who opposed the levy of war on the states, of treason. So, in essence, what the wonderful Yankees were saying, Stephen, was that if you followed the Constitution, you were treasonous. What do you think? How ironic it is to me, now that I have learned how how the Constitution came about, that the Constitution itself, to me, was treason against the states that had sent them there only to amend the Articles of Confederation. So the irony is striking (laughs) to me. Oh, very much so. But then Marvel 
also wrote in his book, and again, folks, I highly recommend that book. He wrote that on his very first day in office as Lincoln's Secretary of War, and he got there by very nefarious reasons, which I have previously covered in a uh, substack, uh, Whistling Dixie. Stanton would exercise a cool dictatorial demeanor as he commenced to enforce the new definition of treason. The U.S. government was failing to recruit enough soldiers for its war, despite the fact that it was offering enlistment bounties of as much as $415. Despite the totalitarian crackdown on northern anti-war newspapers, there was still pervasive verbal opposition to the war in northern cities. I think I hear music, Stephen. There it comes. (laughs) We'll be back on the other side. tuned in to the republic broadcasting network visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org homeowners are you in foreclosure expecting to be served with a foreclosure lawsuit or suspect your lender has coerced you into an illegal mortgage transaction a huge number of mortgages made in the last 10 years have legal issues and are possibly defective. State laws and the U.S. Supreme Court have upheld that defective mortgage documents are grounds for foreclosure defense and for counterclaims in favor of the homeowner. If your mortgage has been sold or assigned since closing the loan, it may be defective and you may be paying the wrong party and the lender may not have standing or the right to foreclose or collect payments under the law. If you would like to know if your mortgage is legal or not or know if you are paying the right party, we can help. Our initial consultations are free of charge. We are not attorneys. We are legal researchers and work closely with experienced lawyers who know how to help you find the evidence to help you keep your home. Email Tom at republicbroadcasting.org. T-O-M at republicbroadcasting.org. Health Simple with Kalwara Shilaji. Fact bit number three. Shilaji is the supreme yoga vaha. Within Ayurveda, Shilaji is the singular substance that towers above all other herbs, herbal minerals, and earth-made adaptogens. Yogavaha refers to substances that have the ability to synergistically make better and carry other substances to its prescribed destination. In the case of Shilaji, most any herb, food, or mineral is amplified with ionic potential, superimposing superior efficacy with increased cellular energy and absorption rates. One of the best applications for Shilaji is to add a drop or two into your favorite herbal tincture and foodstuff. Simply put, Shilaji makes other substances more effective. 
Look for the Gold Mountain and Medical Symbol logo in banners on republicbroadcasting.org to watch the full video and see more information. Use code GORBN when ordering. That's G-O-R-B-N. What would you say if I told you we have a new tool that will increase production and lower maintenance costs for your meat processing company, and it would pay for itself in just six weeks? When pigs fly! The new Ease-Off Model EZ4 replaces old spring-style carcass droppers and is faster, safer, and more reliable. The Ease-Off lowers or lifts 1,000 pounds to or from your rail automatically using our remote control. Sounds expensive. Can I afford it? Can you afford not to try the Ease-Off? It installs fast with just three bolts in place of your current dropper. The effortless operation will reduce fatigue and injuries, speed up your line, eliminate downtime, and increase profit. How can I order my EaseOff? Go to EaseOff.com, E-A-Z-E-O-F-F dot com. And hurry, because we are offering $200 off on the new Easy 4 for a limited time. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC. Summersville, Missouri. 417-932-6419. Roundtable, and tonight at the table is just my good friend Stephen Douglas Whitener, a fellow host here at Republic Broadcasting Network. And again, folks, uh, I'm going to read you something that's probably going to shake you up here just a little bit. But, uh, you know, we talk about the First Amendment uh, and we talk about freedom of speech. And so here is something that most people don't know. Secretary of War Edwin Stanton, on August the 8th of 1862, unilaterally abolished freedom of speech in America. Yes, it was abolished. You think that this wonderful Republican Party and Abraham Lincoln that has a temple to his, uh, his lies and his crimes on the Potomac, you know, if you had to pick someone to build a huge monument to, why not pick the guy who was the biggest criminal in your ever known in the history of your country? Now, that, you know, is just a little bit uh, hard to come by, isn't it? But it's true. Yeah. But having enacted a policy of military conscription, that's called a draft, because they couldn't get enough people to join their cause. It wasn't as popular in the North as you've been taught. But Edwin Stanton appointed a special judge advocate to deal with dissent and issued instructions for local and federal law enforcement officers to imprison anyone 
who may be engaged by act, speech, or writing in discouraging volunteer enlistments or in any way giving aid and comfort to the enemy, unquote. He abolished freedom of speech and freedom of expression. The Secretary of War did that. (laughs) Well, the vagueness of this order allowed the government to imprison anyone who said anything negative about Lincoln, the Republican Party, or criticized their war on the citizens of the South. With renewed vigor, wrote Mr. Marvel, U.S. Marshals of predominantly Republican pedigree started rounding up all malcontents, almost all of them were Democrats, on the excuse that their vocal disagreement with presidential policies discouraged men from volunteering, unquote. Any northern newspaper writers who dared to criticize the grand old party were treated very roughly. In August of 1861, a mob of Granite State soldiers, New Hampshire, attacked the editors of the Democratic Concord newspaper and completely destroyed their office. On August the 14th, Dennis Mahoney, the Irish editor of the Dubuque Herald, was arrested by Iowa's U.S. Marshal H.M. Hoxie, who was a crony of Republican Governor Samuel Kirkwood. Mahoney had been preaching peace for months. In jail, Mahoney met David Sheward, his counterpart at the Constitution and Union of Fairfield, of Fairfield, Iowa. I'm sorry. These men joined in prison. The editors of Illinois newspapers, some Illinois judges, and few other celebrity dissidents for the long journey to Washington, D.C., where they were thrown into the old Capitol prison. Apparently, Lincoln's administration critics from the land of Lincoln had to be imprisoned in Washington, D.C., where they could be especially carefully watched. Your thoughts, Stephen, to this point? Well, you know, I'm thinking of the January 6th gulags right now. Exactly. That's just exactly. what <laughs> There we go. You're, oh, I see, I, hey, y'all, don't forget about these people, too, man. It, I, it breaks my heart to know that. We have political prisoners that are languishing there. Their families are being harassed right now. That's taking place in this country today, y'all. Not not the Soviet Union or you know even the Civil War, but right now. And but the comparison between then and now is stark. It just it it, it struck me while you were reading that. That's exactly what what came to my mind, sir. Well, Stephen, to be totally candid with you, that was the reason that I worked on this article today because. I was thinking about that, and I know I recently read, I'm really not well-versed in this yet. I'm going to make sure I am tomorrow. But evidently, there's a federal judge somewhere who has reversed some of this January the 6th stuff. Of course, he won't have a job very long, and he might have Mm -hmm. an accident on the way home. But uh, if that is followed through, we may see some relief for these people. But somehow, I I don't place a lot Mm -hmm. of faith in this judicial system at all. But if y'all pray out there, please. Please do. Please do. Yeah. Pray for these people. These people should never have been in prison. This this was a sh- complete travesty of justice, not any more different from what we're reading about that Abraham Lincoln did. But the irony of ironies, newspapers affiliated with the Republican Party 
crowed over the administration's latest assault on free speech. Yes, people, the newspapers supported a limit on free speech. Now, that should speak volumes about the rotten, communistic, totalitarian mindset of the scoundrels who ran and created the Republican Party in the 1860s. Now, again, author Marvel writes of how prominent Democrats all throughout the North were simply put in jail for such things as advising voters to vote for peace candidates, laughing at a local home guard company, or making any saucy comments about Abraham Lincoln. Even Democrats running for Congress were imprisoned before Election Day in 1862, as was the case of William J. Allen, a peace Democrat from southern Illinois, who went to jail in that mid-August orgy of repression because of opinions expressed during a political campaign. Allen was running for re-election, so they put him in jail. Many of his fellow Democrats were not released from any of Lincoln's gulags until after the fall elections. You call that election tampering, people? You take the people, put them in jail? Someone, Some of them actually languished in prison until they relinquished the right to sue their arresting officers for false imprisonment. So wow. the only way you get out of jail is agree not to sue the people who put you there unconstitutionally, immorally, whatever you want to call it. It's absolute insanity. Thousands of northern citizens felt the hand of some sheriff or provost marshal clutching at their soldiers. Figuratively speaking, of course, wrote the author Marvel. Republican Party thugs were not above beatings and even murder of northern civilians who dissented from the grand old party political line. A group of Republican volunteers in the town of Troy, Kansas, severely beat a citizen whose political observations they resented. That's also in Marvel's book. Political animosity led to the murder of another man in southeastern Missouri. The local Republican Party-affiliated newspaper editorialized in favor of the murder, writing that the man, and I quote, had no right to be disloyal to the government, unquote. By advocating peace, equating the Republican Party with government, the paper also named other local citizens who would make for acceptable targets. Folks, what in the world? The newspapers were actually printing... Hit list. The names, a list of <laughs> yeah, you talk about doxing, you know. People yeah. don't talk about getting doxed today. Well, that's the same kind of thing they were doing here. Putting a hit list for people. And it reminds me also of what the Ukrainians have been doing. To, uh, uh, they, they put out a, a hit list of people uh, from NATO, basically did. A NATO hit list of their opponents in the current conflict over there. Uh, they have just the same kind of thing. And and it's just funny how history don't always repeat, but it rhymes, isn't it, sir? Yes, that's for sure. Well, such were the origins of the truly Marxist GOP, the Grand Old Party. Now, all of this occurred in just the first few months of the war. During the next several years, hundreds of thousands 
of northern men would be enslaved by conscription. Hundreds of thousands of European mercenaries would be paid to wage war on Americans in the southern states. Hundreds of opposition newspapers would be shut down, over 300 for a total. A dissenting member of Congress, Clement Vallandigham of Ohio, would be deported for criticizing Lincoln on the floor of the House of Representatives. Hundreds of draft protesters in New York City would be shot and killed in the streets by Union Army soldiers during the draft riots in that city. This somewhat pervasive anti-draft, anti-war, anti-administration sentiment led the Republican Party folks to form secret societies that would produce a deluge of pro-Republican propaganda for years and years after the war was over. The Union League was one such society, and the Union League was much worse than the Ku Klux Klan, folks. Read your history. One of the things the Republican Party propaganda machine did was to manufacture the myth or the lie of national unity during the war, suggesting that Northerners were all united in waging a war on their fellow citizens in the South. The truth is that it was the Republican Party that waged war on the South. There was no united Northern population. Least we never forget Senator Baird's eloquent attack on Lincoln and the Republicans in his three-day presentation in the U.S. Senate, which was titled Executive Usurpation. Folks, look it up. You can get a, a PDF. Read it. The myth of national unity supporting Lincoln and the Republican Party is a grand old lie. So the GOP is a GOL. When one examines the history of the Civil War through the eyes of the world's most notorious communist, we are acquainted with a man who hated, as can be seen in his post-war letter to President Johnson, the South out of pathetic ignorance. Karl Marx declared that the South had in secret prepared to undermine the United States for years and that Jefferson Davis was a dictator that the Confederate Constitution, which outlawed the slave trade, promoted slavery. That's the Marxist way. Blatant lies. And he also said that the Supreme Court was a tool of the slave-holding South, and that the South geographically encompassed three-quarters of the Union. A mass of lies. But in the autumn of 1861, Karl Marx, the father of communism, wrote the following regarding the American Civil War. Now listen carefully. The war of the Southern Confederacy is therefore not a war of defense, but a war of conquest, a war of conquest for the extension and perpetuation of slavery. Folks, that is a blatant, again, Marxist lie. And if you want to get Marxist lies, just turn on any local TV station, whether it be Fox or, you know, whatever. All you're getting is the pre-approved dialogue of the Central Intelligence Agency because they control everyone in the media. They said so as early as 1970s. 
It is interesting that observe that virtually all of the liberals and a majority of modern-day conservatives would hardly agree with such a statement as what he said. This should raise a red flag in the minds of those who love liberty. Why is it that the majority of Americans, even those who advocate the free market, agree with the way in which Karl Marx, of all people, framed the cause of the war? Though Marx and his partner in communism, Frederick Engels, lived in Great Britain, they served, and I quote, as a propaganda agent for the northern cause in Europe. While most Americans think of the abolition of slavery as an end in itself, the communists had a completely different view of abolition. Marx, Karl Marx, stated in the Civil War in the United States, and I quote, labor cannot emancipate itself in the white skin where in the black it is branded. After the war was over, Karl Marx said, now listen carefully, and the successful close of the war against slavery has indeed inaugurated a new era in the annals of the working class. Still, the Civil War offered a compensation in the liberation of the slaves and the impulse which it thereby gave to your own class movement, unquote. As anyone could, should be able to see, the freeing of the slaves was not an end in itself to the father of communism, but rather a means to an end, and that end being the revolution of the working class against the proletariat. The war between the states was a war of centralism versus federation, of humanism versus Christianity, of socialism versus capitalism, and of imperialism versus popular sovereignty. After Lincoln's second inaugural victory, Karl Marx delivered to the 16th president on behalf of the International Working Men's Association a letter which stated in no uncertain terms where the allegiance of the communist community or the communist party lay. The last paragraph of that letter is as follows, and I quote, the working men of Europe feel sure that as the American War of Independence initiated a new era of ascendancy for the middle class, so the American anti-slavery war will do for the working classes. They consider it an earnest of the epoch to come that it fell to the lot of Abraham Lincoln, the single-minded son of the working class, to lead his country through the matchless struggle for the rescue of an enchained race and the reconstruction of a social world, unquote. Stephen? Uh, and, and it continues. For them, it's never going to finish, you know. The, the revolution is aptly named because it just revolves over and over back in your face until it puts more and more in the hands of fewer and fewer people and enslaves us, you know, gives them more power. That's what communism is all about, you know, basically. <laughs> Just and it, once you see it from that prism, it's hard not to see it that way again. I was thinking along the lines of how the w way the country was described during our quote unquote civil war was a lot like the way the country was during the Vietnam War, divided over should we be fighting or not and draft riots and brother against brother and all that. It's just the same old story, it seems, repeated over and over again, these masters of war, and we're really the enemy. You don't 
end war by winning it. Okay, that never happens. You can't end a war by winning it. You just have to stop the fighting and find a different way. Okay, I know I sound like a broken record when I start like this, but it frustrates me, sir. <laughs> well, I certainly understand that, my friend. But uh, though no conservative or a person who calls himself a conservative, whatever that means anymore, I'm not sure. What are you conserving? Most conservatives can't tell me what they're conserving. But anyway, there should never anyone should never have a problem with the you know with the rescuing of any slave anywhere although it may be pointed out that Lincoln never accomplished this task and the radical republicans enchained all men to a form of slavery called taxation while in the process making the lot of the slave even worse all of our cerebral senses should stand on end when we hear the words reconstruction of a social world was Lincoln fulfilling, fulfilling the next step in creating a world in Karl Marx's image. Yeah. I apologize for that redundant question. The answer lies in an idea of strong central government as promoted and administered under George Washington by Alexander Hamilton, which was then passed on to Henry Clay and finally, it made its way into the White House through the election of Abraham Lincoln. The American system, as it was called, is defined by the authors as nothing less than an attempt to increase the power of the federal government beyond that which the Constitution authorizes. Henry Clay, a politician Lincoln modeled himself after, and he actually gave the eulogy at his funeral. He was an advocate of centralized banking, internal improvements, and protective tariffs, all of which promoted a highly centralized totalitarian state once proposed by none other than Alexander Hamilton. On occasion, these policies were referred to as state capitalism or a mercantile system, a system in which the government favors certain businesses and regions over others in exchange for favors such as campaign contributions and vice versa. It goes without saying that it takes a strong central government to impose a system of wealth redistribution. The communist transformations, note communists and socialists meant the same thing in 1860 as they should today, of America gained legitimacy under the leadership of the early Republican Party due to these policies. If we, comp if we compare the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto to Lincoln's actions, we see it quite clearly. The Communist Manifesto in Article, I think it's three or two, calls for a heavy progressive or graduated income tax. In comparison, Lincoln signed the Legal Tender Act in 1862 and the National Currency Act in 1863 and again in 1864. Using these acts as a system of nationally chartered using I'm sorry, using these acts, a system of nationally chartered banks was created and a federally run national banking monopoly was born. Of the leading supporters for nationalized banking, John Sherman of Ohio, William Tecumseh Sherman's older brother, he proclaimed nationalize as much as possible and thereby make men love their country before their states, unquote. 
1862, Abraham Lincoln signed America's first income tax into law, and he created the Internal Revenue Service. That's why he has a monument on the Potomac, not for freeing slaves. Another idea supported by both Lincoln and Karl Marx was federal involvement in education. Oh, imagine that. In 1862, Lincoln signed the Morrill Act, M-O-R-R-I-L-L, not M-O-R-A-L, named for Senator Justin Morrill, who defended government involvement in education this way. And I quote, the role of the national government is to mold the character of the American people, unquote. Instantly, money that was made through federal land grant sales went to funding colleges throughout the North in the beginning. It goes without saying that Washington controlled the curriculum. In Carl Sandburg's six-volume account of the life of Lincoln, he highlights something all Americans should find most disturbing. When referring to Robert Owens, an early American socialist, Utopia, it is said that the scheme lighted up Lincoln's heart, unquote. The communist connections and the participants in Lincoln's war are too, num- too numerous to mention here. So for time's sake, I will mention some of the more influential men and their important connections. But before jumping into that, Stephen, mm-hmm. comments, sir? Well, it just looks like we're being set up again, too. I mean, the, the parallels with what's going on in the country today and this period of time. You're talking about during the war here, uh, uh, but even before that. It seems like it's more like from 1848 to 1860 happening right now. I'm wondering what the next triggering event's going to be because I think that there will be one this year. And I, I, I hear the uh, that awesome song coming on atop there of the break there to the Richmond north of Richmond. <laughs> yes, sir. And we're ready for that. We'll be back on the flip side. Be true, but it is. Oh, it is living in the new world. Just miners on an island somewhere Lord, we got folks in the street Ain't got nothing to heat And the whole beast Here's some interesting news Due to all the recent claims about possible nuclear wars Viruses, solar flares, and civil unrest People are scrambling to prepare and stockpile food But the one thing out of reach for many Is an underground bunker Until now Because you can now have a 3D printed underground bunker In just one day An excavator digs a hole in your backyard And 3dbunkers.com Shows up in a small truck And sets up their 
3D printer under a tent completely undetected. They can print as many rooms as you want at a fraction of the cost compared to traditional metal bunkers. 3D bunkers uses polymer concrete, which is five times stronger than regular cement. YouTube 3DBunkers.com and watch the video. The creators of 3D Bunkers is looking for a business partner that can help bring this technology to the world. And we need to protect our way of life without living in fear. Contact Brad at 3DBunkers.com for more details or visit 3DBunkers.com. You're listening to Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Truth, truth, truth.